guest writes a lot about microprocessors in his latest market commentary. Alan Zafrin joining us once again, Senior Managing Director and Wealth Manager at First Republic Investment Management, $47.5 billion in assets under management, joining us from Palo Alto, California. Alan, good to have you back with us. Um, Why microprocessors? Well, hi, Carol. Great to be on the show. Microprocessors, because this uh, this whole uh, bull market's been driven by reflation and tax reform, but frankly, a lot by technology. And, uh, you know, the thing about technology out here in Silicon Valley, you just focus on, you know, from Moore's Law that whatever happens keeps doubling the power of microchips in about 18 months. It's been going on for 50 years. And I, I want to give you one analogy, which is pretty remarkable. It was highlighted by uh, Thomas Freeman in his latest book, which was called Thank You for Being Great. And he said, if you're trying to figure out the power of microprocessors, compare a microprocessor back to what a Volkswagen Beetle car was in 1971. So that's when Intel did its first chip. Right. And, and in, those, in that time, in 50 years, the microchips, microchip has gone up in performance by about 3,500 times in speed. It's literally about 90,000 times more energy efficient. And it's about 60,000 times lower in cost. All those numbers are insane to compute, but if you put it in the terms of what if I had bought a VW Bug, Herbie, the Volkswagen Beagle, back in 1971 for $10,000, that Bug today would drive at 300,000 miles an hour. You'd get 2 million gallons of gas, 2 million miles driven for each gallon of gas, and it would only cost you four cents to buy the car. Be like That's Herbie. It'd be as cool as Herbie. It'd be alive as Herbie. I'm in. Maybe Herbie's the inspiration for Elon Musk. That could explain the assembly. Or back to the future. The automated car. It's Herbie. Uh, well, so, Alan, I, th- I think... Yeah. I think what's interesting about this, and I should mention just really quickly, and I just want to, on a sad note, but Paul Odolini just passed away today. Uh, right. He was the, the CEO of Intel. I interviewed him many times, uh, not always when he wanted to be interviewed, and he was always gracious to do so. Uh, so he will sur- certainly be missed. Um, but I, I think it's interesting uh, when we talk about this, uh, the evolution of the semiconductor, and we can look at Intel or a couple of other companies, but none more than Intel, that every once in a while that that consistency of Moore's law leads to a uh, which is a straight line almost a cliff of innovation where all of a sudden something new is possible and i think in the last couple of years we've some, some, seen some of those innovations in um, mobile data centers that allow companies like uber to exist because they don't have to have the computing can happen on the back end because it's that possible to move the data and, and 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 work the data in a data center and 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 mobile telephony before it just the possibility of having phones and and, and smartphones that can be smart. Corey, we've, we've come so far. Imagine this. Uh, NVIDIA had its uh, graphics technology conference back in May. And if you can imagine this, it had, through artificial intelligence, computers compose a score that was then played by humans. It's the complete opposite. You know, you think back, we build machines as humans, and we ask the machines to, to do things on our part. We're moving to a world, if you can imagine, where computers are architecting things for us humans to go do. And, and by the way, that score evoked a human emotional reaction amongst listeners. It was well-received. So we're in this rapidly transitioning world, and we can sit and talk about stocks and bonds and valuations. But in the long run, the propensity of the human race to continue to expand, improve quality of life, apply new tools and technologies – 
that's all why there's so much optimism uh, resonant throughout America, let alone here in Silicon Valley. It's, a, it's amazing the steps that are being taken. They're revolutionary. I'm looking forward to the robot that can kind of take my place at work and I can go just to the beach for the day. That's kind of what I, I'm looking forward to. You're not looking forward to that robot because that robot doesn't decide to pay you anymore. <laughs> I, want Ale- I want Alexa to do my exercise workout for me and burn my calories. So that we're all in the same boat. Well, having said that, is it too early to start thinking about the companies, the investments that are really going to be the drivers of tomorrow, um, in your view? No, it's never too early. Just recognize that valuations can get ahead of themselves. So, you know, if you want to rattle off all the risks to the market, the ones you're going to hear is, you know, we're nine years into a bull market, valuations are above average. I would argue it's stealing a bit of your prospective return over the next five to 10 years because you're paying higher than an average price to grab into that business or technology. Mm -hmm. But if you continue to believe in the long run, being an owner of these businesses, you're being compensated as a stockholder. Uh, If you believe in the strong franchise values of those businesses, you have to pay up in today's world or hope and wait for what you hope will be a correction to get in at a better price with no guarantee that'll happen. So we're stealing some of our future return. It doesn't mean it'll be negative, but it'll, it'll probably be over the next five to ten years a little lower than what historical standards might have said you'd earn to be an owner of some of these technologies. Um, so hold your nose and buy it is what you're saying. Yes, but <laughs> hold your nose. But the flip side of that is be diversified. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, and make sure you understand what it means to be down 20 or 30 percent at any point in time because – Stocks have done that and will again at some point do it. They're still cyclical, and so don't lose sight of that. People, people in my career have gotten in trouble by owning too much of one thing. Well, speaking of too much of one thing, there's a ton of money that's been flowing into index funds, right, and passive yep. ETFs. And we've had guests on, one value guy, well-known investor, who said, you know, that's one of the next, you know, financial bubbles. Is that a dangerous thing? Because as long as money's flowing into that um, – to me, it seems like the market can continue to grind higher for better, for worse. But is that a dangerous trend in your mo- in your view, Alan? And we got about 30 seconds here. Well, when I hear about smart beta Bible ETFs coming out there, that gets me worried. <laughs> but, uh, With a latte on the side. Yeah, so, so 95% of ETFs are worrisome. They're formulaic things that work backward looking, don't make a lot of rational sense. But I think the basics of a low-cost, well-diversified index fund has a merit as part of a well-diversified portfolio. That That is not going to go away. But you're not nervous about all the money going into index funds quickly? I mean, S, like the S&P? No, I'm only, I'm only worried to the to extend, extend the valuations of the largest components of the index, but right. not an aggregate. All right, we got to run. Alan, thank you, thank you. Alan Zafrin, Senior Managing Director, Wealth Manager at First Republic Investment Management, on the phone from Palo Alto, California. They've got $47.5 billion in assets under management. Folks, you are listening to Bloomberg Radio.